Let's open up in prayer. God, we ask that you'd bless our time. We ask that you'd minister to our hearts. We ask, Lord, that you would um, show us uh, some of the cost that it takes uh, and what that means as far as being a disciple. Um, Jesus uh, lived exactly how um, a disciple should live, and he uh, set the model for us. And so we pray, God, that you'd help us to understand uh, to a better level, to a better degree, what it means uh, to follow you, what that implies, um, and what the implications of that might be. So God, we ask that you speak that and minister to that to our hearts, Lord. And and during this time, we pray that um, the parts of us that want to fight back on some of what you're asking for from us, I ask, God, that you would give us the ability uh, to squash that voice, Lord, um, that's trying to silence what your Holy Spirit's trying to speak to our hearts. So, God, we ask that you bless this time, that you speak through your word, speak to the kiddos downstairs and next door, Lord, and bless the teachers with them. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in the Matthew 28, let me read for you uh, real quick what that says, because that kind of preludes into our Luke 14 stuff, what we'll be talking about. So Matthew 28, verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So we've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, right through the Bible, and we're just about to finish up with Matthew here. Um, But I feel like as we were... As we've been studying through the book, and as we get to this end place here where Jesus is basically commissioning the disciples, and um, he's giving his great commission, right? That's what it's known as. Um, As he's doing that, and he's leaving his last words, I just get a sense in my heart um, that we should be talking about this idea of disciples and discipleship and what that means. Um, So... God, for whatever reason, chooses for us to just talk about that a little bit longer. Which I think part of it is probably due to the fact that, um, you know, we're going to be having some baptisms right this summer, and I just found out yesterday at a wedding that another person wanted to get baptized, so it's like, it's awesome. It's awesome. And so I think that um, God wants us just to to really um, reevaluate, really get into focus, and get our minds clear of what it means to be a disciple. What does that exactly mean? So maybe we'd still have this long list of people I want to get baptized, but maybe after you talk about discipleship for a couple weeks, that might change a little bit. And I don't know if necessarily that's a bad thing, because maybe then some people counted the cost maybe a little bit more that they didn't really quite notice before. So uh, we're going to talk about discipleship and the cost and the rewards and, uh, and kind of like what that stuff implies. And... It's super important because it's the last thing Jesus said to do. So we just read it, and the last time before Mother's Day we met, we talked about it. Verse 19, Therefore go, 
right? So go, get out of our little holy huddle, get out of our church groups and areas, right? Go, go out into the community, into work, go into our sphere of influence, wherever that might be, right? Go and make disciples. Okay, well, how do you do that? And what is a disciple, right? Make disciples of all nations. You can do that by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you also make disciples, so number one, by baptizing. Everybody say baptizing. Do it by baptizing. And then you also do it, right, by verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Right, so by baptizing, and then teaching that everything that Jesus commanded us to obey. And usually, if there's differing opinions... It's usually right around there. Like, what did Jesus say? What did he teach? And how did he command it? Um, so, we're going to take a look at that today. So, that's why the title of the message is The Mind of a Disciple. So, hopefully it will help us just think a little bit better about what it means to be a disciple and discipleship and the responsibility, you know, that it carries for us. Because it's definitely significant. At work, um, maybe, I don't know, five or six months ago, um, uh, the new iPhone came out, or different types of iPhones came out. And I don't know how many iPhone people are in here, but um, for some people at work, it's a really big deal to them, and you know they pay attention to all of it and read the articles. In fact, uh, it was a coworker who is a teacher, and uh, he teaches like a business and entrepreneurship class, and he actually used his whole class to watch a streaming video of just basically the latest commentary about the new iPhone that will be coming out. So that's like how they spent their whole hour in class. And um, I had a free period in that particular one. And so uh, me and him get along pretty well. So I went up and said, you know, hey, what's going on? You know, first I came in, I'm like, what do you, you know, you're watching videos, you know, the whole time. And, you know, what are you guys watching? And what is this about? And so we caught up with that. And then we started talking about the iPhone that was coming out. So the iPhone, uh, I think 5C was coming out. And uh, it's basically iPhone is just taking over the market. It's just huge. And when he first invested into his first iPhone, I don't remember one, a couple of years ago, you know, it, it was still fairly popular, but not like how it is now. And not taking over the market as it is now. And he really did not like how Apple was just making the iPhone accessible to just a ton of people in any way, shape, or form. He really didn't like it. And I was like, you know, you know why, don't, why don't you like that? He said, well, he said, I like I like it if it's difficult for people to get my phone. He said, I want it to be sort of a thing that's hard to get. Um, He said, uh, I'd rather have it be so that way it's like a special phone. It's unique to him. So if somebody, other people tried to get it, you know, they'd have a difficult time getting access to it. He said, I hope they keep it complicated so that way not everybody can really use it. I'm like, man, that just sounds kind of like elitist, you know what I mean? And just... He's like, yes, that's exactly what I want. I want my own thing, my own way. Like, you know, okay, I mean, hey, that's his opinion. You know, I'm not, I'm not here to change the guy's opinions, but it's an interesting conversation to have with the guy. Um, and as I thought more about that, um, I, I noticed kind of a strange parallel that also creeps into the church too. You know, it's weird because, so Jesus had a lot of beef and a lot of run-ins and a lot of confrontations with these religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? So he had a lot of run-in with these guys. And, and the Pharisees and Sadducees, to say that all across the board, 
all of them um, had bad attitudes and bad hearts? I don't know. We can't really speak for all of them. But we do know when Jesus addressed them, like he wasn't really fond of the way they were teaching and the way they were doing things. Um, you know, maybe there were some uh, Pharisees, and probably there were some Pharisees and Sadducees in there that were trying to figure this thing out and figure out how this guy Jesus fit in and is he the Messiah. And, and then, you know, you had people like Nick at night, you know, Nicodemus coming to him at night and Joseph of Arimathea. And you had these guys where it's like they're trying to figure it out. Um, but the Pharisees were kind of like my friend where... He loved his... It was a lot of work to figure out how he got his iPhone to work. Uh, he enjoyed all the intricacies about it. He enjoyed all the um, different options he could do with it. And he spent a lot of time figuring it out. And the Pharisees and religious leaders, they spent a ton of time figuring out what the Torah said, what it meant, how to live it out, what it should look like, um, what they should memorize... And they almost treated their belief and um, their uh, walking out of what they knew like an elitist club. Like nobody else can get as holy and as righteous as we are. And I don't, honestly, I don't see a lot of difference between myself or between yourself and them. I think it's very possible for us to become um, what a title of a book that I just read recently I really enjoyed. It's possible for us to become an accidental Pharisee. We're not really intending to do it, but we have natural bents and natural tendencies to just do certain things. Like in education, which I'm you know around all the time, and you've had to go, go through some kind of education. You know, it starts off where it's just open to everybody. And you can enroll in school and public education. You can go through it. And then as you continue to go and you move through the grades, you know, you're still in school. It's still open for education. But then it becomes college time. You've got to apply. And now, all of a sudden, education is selective, depending upon where you go. And then, um, you know, you have to go through uh, the interview process and have the grades. And, and then, let's say you even make it through college and you've got to go through master school. Then it's even more selective. Um, and then it gets to be um, this thing where do you have these particular letters after your name? And that becomes like a very important thing to some circles. A very important thing. And what happens is the bar continues to get raised, continues to get raised. People continue to get stretched. And it's like, oh, are you part of our club? You know, are you like in this thing as well? And the alumni from maybe those schools love it. They love that. Because then it's like, oh yeah, this is the special. You know. But meanwhile, little do they know that over time, they probably wouldn't have been able to get in because the bar has gotten raised so high. So maybe they could have done it way back when, but probably now they could never do it. And what we're going to read about this morning kind of plays into that thought process a little bit. See, there's like this tension in churches where you have this one side that is like you have to pay a cost to follow Jesus. You have to pick up your cross daily, follow Jesus. It's going to cost you a lot. It's going to cost you everything. And that's definitely true. And then there's this other side where Jesus says, um, if you need rest... 
Come to me. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My, my burden should be light. Um, abide in me. Right now, abide in you. I'm a God of peace. And so you have like this like tension that's like always going back and forth to where there's different circles and different peoples where it's like they really push the cost and how much it costs and and maybe from this side, this particular group of people, it's like um, it's only really a good church service or a good church environment if they left feeling really bad about themselves. Yeah, you could take it to that extreme. That was just really good because it made me feel really bad. I don't know about that, right? Maybe the Spirit was convicting, okay, okay, but to associate bad feelings with always the Lord speaking, I think is dangerous. Because the other side is, come to me and I will give you rest and my burden is light. So somehow this God of peace should also be making some Christians feel very light and very joyful. So there's like this tension. And depending upon who you're around, it's like some people got that finger wagging in your face. Accidental Pharisee. And, and you know what? To be honest, probably a lot of them probably have really good intentions. They want to see the church grow. They want to see, you know, um, God's work expanded. But I don't know how much love and compassion are in that little finger over there, in that big finger. Um, But then on the other side, if it's all lovey-dovey and just easy going, you can kind of do whatever, it doesn't leave much of a room for some hard truth that comes into play. So this issue of discipleship kind of brings together some of this stuff. And um, what we're going to read about this morning, in Luke 14, we finally get there. I won't spend a ton of time there. But I wanted to just talk about this issue of cost for a disciple. This issue of cost for a disciple. Because there definitely is a cost associated with it. But my intent this morning is not to use the cost as like a battering ram for some people. It's just to say, hey, there is a cost certainly involved. Here's what Jesus said about it. And um, let's see what we can do to make sure that we also model that in our own lives. So let's take a look. Let's read the passage and then we'll, we'll, we'll pick it apart a little bit. So Luke 14, verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. So that's significant right there. Large crowds traveling with Jesus. And turning to, uh, and turning to them, he said, verse 26... If anyone comes to me and does not hate, big time words here, and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is big time here. These are strong words here. This is why I like, we got to talk about discipleship. Verse 27. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays a foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able, 
with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It has to be thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, with all of that being said that we said previously, as far as um, kind of this idea of... uh, the cost, the work, and like this burden-bearing grace that is both in play, sometimes the time is appropriate where we'll use the term thinning the herd is appropriate. Thinning the herd, right? Or um, some people might use, uh, I read this past week, uh, I saw one author use the term uh, getting rid of the riffraff. Okay, so eliminating the herd or getting rid of the riffraff. Um, some people like we mentioned before have a natural bent of let's thin the herd and get rid of the riffraff and just make sure we only have the really solid the really committed Christians and that's just the only thing we want in our church Uh, I don't know that's heavy that's heavy right you're going to beat down a lot of people Um, the idea of the gospel the idea of the gospel was to expand the kingdom Pharisees and accidental Pharisees, they want to seclude it and make it like their little private thing and make it incredibly difficult to get into and be a part of. Jesus came to expand it. He came to seek and to save. He came to change losers to winners. He came to redeem incredibly failed past into something new Beautiful and that reciprocates life into other areas. Right? So he's looking to expand. Uh, this other idea is really meant to shrink and kind of create our own little weird thing. With that being said, there definitely is a time to talk about the cost and to really put in perspective, hey, what does this thing really mean and what are we getting ourselves into here? And uh, Jesus talks about the cost several times through his ministry. Um, But honestly, he spends a lot of time talking about his father, what his father wants him to do. Um, He spends a lot of time uh, eating dinner and having meals and healing the sick and talking to the lost and even healing those and providing for those that might not even eventually believe in him. He would lead with a healing. He would lead with a blessing in the hopes to expand. But now, for whatever reason, Jesus has some wisdom and some insight that, hey, um, I think that this large crowd is not quite understanding what's going on here. So, there has to be incredible wisdom before we come to the point where it's like, hey, let's lay it down and tell people we're really cost to follow Christ. That Jesus had an, a wisdom and awareness and knowing Jesus, it was wisdom and awareness rooted in love. And so, he realizes, hey, this is the time we have to talk about some of this stuff. 
Well, we're going to thin the herd a little bit. So large crowds are traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. There's some big time language right there. And what is he talking about? Well, the idea here that he's trying to get across is that as far as relationships go, as far as relationships go, no relationship can trump Christ. No relationship trumps it. Nothing. Not me as a father to my kids, not uh, my marriage right to Julie, not somebody else's relationship to somebody else. The idea is that nothing trumps the relationship with Christ. He has number one say, final say, with no competition. Nothing trumps it. That's the idea of a disciple. In fact, it would be like the relationship with Christ so trumps all other relationships that it would seem like to the other people that almost that you hate them because they come secondary. But the relationship with Christ trumps all relationships. So that's the idea, right, of a disciple. That's huge right there. Because that changes a lot of things. So now, you know, when we're dating, we're trying to figure out who should we date and like what would be appropriate. Um, it's not really my will be done, but God's will be done in it. And that can lead to some very, very difficult decisions. Some super difficult decisions. And then right, in our marriages, it's like, well, not my will be done there either, but God's will be done there too. Super difficult stuff. But for the disciple, it's that no other relationship, no career, nothing at all trumps Jesus and His will and His plan. And that's what the disciple freely says. And so when you do our baptisms, like that's what somebody is saying publicly to everybody else. As far as my life goes, as far as my career goes, as far as uh, my relationships go, Christ trumps every aspect. I defer to Him first. I defer to His Word first. And I will let that carry through uh, sexually, I will let that carry through mentally, I will let that carry through in all aspects of my life. That's a heavy duty statement. Heavy duty statement. And it's one that we're called to make. Why? Why would we be called to make such a heavy commitment like that? Well, we would be called to make that heavy call because it cost Jesus not a little bit, not 10%. He didn't tithe. It cost him everything. 10% of his blood wasn't on the cross. It was everything, all of him, all of it on the cross. And so, when we then say, I receive what Christ has done for me, 
then what we're doing is we're saying, now I'm going to live my life in a response of gratefulness and thanksgiving in the same way we're basically putting ourselves on the cross there as well. Big time commitment, right? Romans says we're called to uh, live our lives as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Some pastors joke around and they say the, past, the problem with the living sacrifice is that they can crawl off the altar. Yep, kind of slow this morning. Yes, so living sacrifice, right? They could crawl off the altar, right? But it's difficult to be a living sacrifice, right? It's difficult to be a living sacrifice. But that's what we're called to be, and that's what a disciple agrees to. We just say, okay, it's on his terms. Everything defaults to you. Everything defaults to you, Lord. Whatever you want to do. Whatever I'm in, wherever I'm going. Now, that does not mean that we do that, that we can actually carry that out perfectly. But it does mean that we realize that we have that sense that God is speaking that to us and we're trying to head in that direction. Right? That's a big difference. Because some of you might think, well, I'm not really a disciple because I'm not doing all that God has called me to do perfectly. Well, join the club. Like, (laughs) nobody really is. But, is it a lifestyle of repentance when it's like not going perfectly? Overall, is it surrendered to Him? Is there steps of faith that show that behind? I know that in this church, in the past, I would say a few months or so, there have been people that have been making some big time decisions in their lives that cost them and that hurt. And they did it in leaps of faith. And... um, it's from an outsider, you know, when, when you're going through it, it's, it's a real deal. And somebody on the outside is like, wow, that's really good. That's a really, you know, great step of faith. That's great. That takes a lot of courage. But when you're in it and you're the center of it, it can be world-changing. I mean, world-changing. And there's people here in this church that are taking some, like, super radical steps. Either um, they're deciding to just handle their finances just totally differently for the first time ever. Or there's people in this church that have just shut down relationships. Or it's like, no. Or particular areas of relationships. And they said, no, this is not right. It's not like what God is calling us to do. It's not what He's asking us to do. Um, it's huge. It's big time. But that's where the rubber hits the road. Like, that's where Christianity really takes off, is when we squash ours needs, wants, desires, and ambitions, and we say, okay, Lord, it is yours. You do what you want with it. And then honestly, what he does many times is he comes and he brings back what we desired in the first place, but in a much better way and in a more perfect way. And we'll never figure that out if our hands are like this over it, our stuff all the time. So, are we supposed to hate the people that Jesus told us to love? Should I hate my father, hate my mother, hate my wife, hate my children, brothers and sisters? No. No. We're not supposed to hate them. But they should come secondarily to our relationship with Christ, right? The relationship with Christ trumps everything. Trumps everything. And for many of us, a lot of times, it takes a lot of mistakes and bad decisions to finally say, okay, I will let you trump everything. 
hopefully we can be a people where for the most part, fairly immediately, we can say, Lord, I defer to you. You trumpet here. Does it make sense to me? This is going to hurt. It's going to feel weird. It's going to be awkward. Or I've never done it before. Or I want to quit. But I will defer to you. Because that's what you're asking me to do. So he doesn't want us to hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. But he does want them to be secondary to where he trumps everything. And verse 27, And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So then he, Jesus goes into verses 28 uh, through really 33 here. He says, suppose he wants to build a tower. So he's talking about building a tower and then like calculating the cost. Um, and then he talks about a king going to war with another king and considering you know, the, the, how many people are, are um, in the armies and who's fighting. The whole idea behind all of it is that he wants the crowd right then and there to really calculate, hey listen, is this something that you want to do? Is this something you want to give your life for? He's just reemphasizing his point. He's just giving good illustration. That's all that he's doing. Because it seems like maybe he's changing the subject or just talking about something like really randomly. Um, but I don't think uh, Jesus is super ADHD or anything. Um, I just think that he's using illustration to talk about what's going on. So if you want to build a house, like, you got to get some estimations behind it. How much is it going to cost? Like, who's the contractor we're going to bring in? Like, what's going to happen? How much, is, how much money do we have? And how's that all going to work out? And if we're going to war, what do we got? We have like four guns or we do have like 4,000? And how many people are in the army, right? And what's advantageous, right? It's considering a cost. See, this is why I think it's difficult for some of the finger-waggers to wag your fingers a lot is because life is not necessarily life as a Christian and as we walk with Christ it's not necessarily a light switch you just like turn on and just shut off it's not necessarily that easy there are loads and loads of things that God has to get through to work on us just lots we all have baggage and just sin and funk and selfishness and greed and pride and he's got to work through all of that stuff and to think that in one moment as we accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior that all of that is just done in an instant is silly and it's not even biblical it says that we have I think I have the verse up here um, they were supposed to work out in Philippians 2. We're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Right? That's what we're called to do. So therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. So it's not like a light switch type thing that happens. It's like... An onion almost, where there's layers, where God, the Holy Spirit is just pulling away like different layers of our lives where He's revealing different things and He's saying, hey, listen, I need to come into this area or I need to take over this area or you have to give this part over to me. Um, or it's more like at an amusement park where it's a roller coaster ride where there's ups and downs and turns, right? And these people that Jesus was talking to 
saying, listen, consider the cost. And if a finger wagger were to come in there and say, oh no, you're not a real disciple. Well, no, you know, I'm not. I'm considering the cost here. Like I'm calculating. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to understand this God thing and who he says he is and what he's requiring of me. And why would he require that of me? And is it something I actually want to lay down? Like, I don't think it's a bad place to be in that position to figure that stuff out and ask God those questions. Now, I think it's a bad thing to be in that place and procrastinate for ten, five, whatever amount of years, and God is making it very clear, hey, listen, you need to come to me and surrender your life to me. And then if we try and hide behind, well, I'm still calculating, Lord, you know. I'm still trying to figure it out. When he's spoken very clearly to our hearts, well, then that's not good either. Right? So, this idea of being a disciple is much more than just maybe a salvation prayer. God, I accept you into my heart. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Well, that's good, but now to walk that out as a disciple means that he's going to trump all areas, all things, and everything in my life now centers around him and his will and what he says. So being a disciple is like serious business. Big time business. And we're saying that it may look like that maybe 10 people from our church want to actually publicly say that and get dressed in the armor and go front lines and say, Lord, I don't care. Come hell or come high water, I'm submitted to you. I'm doing that. That's a big deal thing. That is a real deal thing. And I'm excited about it. I'm excited. I'm very excited. But those people are also going to need our prayers, right, our help, and our support. Right, we got to get together because as, like we talked about before, as soon as we make a vow to the Lord like that, any type of vow, Satan's coming in at the ankles and he comes hard and he comes quick. It's what he does. He is ruthless, right? Ruthless. He's coming after the disciples. So Jesus closes up here, verse 34. He says, then he starts talking about salt, right? So he said, talked about salt in your bulletin there. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he closes up by saying, hey, listen. Basically, um, the whole name of the game, as far as Christianity goes and being with God is about being salty, bearing fruit. That's really it. The main illustration that Jesus uses about being a Christ follower is in John 15. And you can read it this week if you'd like. In John 15, the whole idea is is that He is the vine and we are the branches. And our whole deal, our entire deal, the whole point of uh, me and uh, my life and where I work and what I do and my kids and my marriage and anything is just to bear fruit. That's it. That is it. 
or to be salty to draw other people in. But if the only goal is to bear fruit for this God who I'm a disciple of, that really helps set the priorities in my life. Really helps set the priorities in my life. So, in this passage, he's saying, hey, listen, salt is good, but if you lose saltiness, it's basically like pretty much worthless. So he's saying, you know, hey, listen, if um, God wants to use you, he wants to work mightily through you, if you're a disciple, he's allowed to do that. He's been given full range to do that. But, if that's not the case, then it's like kind of having salt that has no saltiness that you can't even really do much with. Like, they could take up space, I guess, you know, that's nice. But, you can't really do much with it at all. And so Jesus, he describes, he lays them down with this heavy statement where he thins the herd. And again, he knew through wisdom from his father and direction from his father that, hey, this is the time to talk about it. So you got to be aware of people that are always just pushing all the hard, burden-bearing, difficult things. Be careful with that. But Jesus, in this particular time, he knew that, hey, this is the time to talk about this stuff. And then what he does, he gives you some illustrations to say, hey, listen, serious business, consider what's going on here. And then he closes up by saying, if you choose to do it, man, we can go places. I can bring you places you never thought you would go. I can use you in ways you never thought you would be used. I can restore things that you thought were completely lost forever. That's the good news part. That is the good news part. And I hope that you're excited about that as well. Because it's easy to just get hung up on the cost, the cost, the cost. We're going to talk about next week, week after that, is the reward. Like, where is this going? What is God going to be doing with it? Because the gospel is called the good news. It is called the good news for a reason. So we're going to talk more about that, um, not next week, but the week after. Uh, We're going to have uh, uh, Brother Raman is going to come back next week. And if you missed him last time, uh, he was solid. Just a real good encouragement. Um, He is from, um, he's from, he's an Iranian who's from England. And uh, just a a really good heart, um, a real good brother. And so he's going to share some stuff next week. I don't know what. Um, I'll be here, uh, but I think uh, I'll be coming later got a high school graduation I got to go to and uh, you know congratulate the kids on making it through high school and you know try and share the, the gospel and the love a little bit more with them you know before they head out um, but um, after Brother Raman you know that next week we'll talk more about discipleship and, and like what are the rewards on this because the disciples the true disciples right they asked they asked that question they said Lord like uh you know, we've left everything. We put you at the center. And in layman's terms, like, what's the payoff here? What's the payoff here? And Jesus didn't come uh, hard and aggressive after them and be like, that's a horrible question. You shouldn't ask that. Or that's inappropriate. He responded back to them uh, in a very interesting way. So we're going to take a look um, at that. So not next week, but the week after. And talk a little bit more about uh, discipleship. Um, because that question, that bonus question is important for us. You know, number one, like, would I classify myself as a disciple? 
or am I like in root? Am I trying to let God work things out? Um, because when that issue of myself and discipleship and that whole arena of thought around discipleship is kind of settled and worked out and figured out, then we graduate to the next level of now we go make disciples. And how do we do that? Right? We go make disciples because we are called not to just be disciples that walk around and have t-shirts that have big D's on them and say disciples. Right? We are called to go around and make other disciples. Make them. Make like replicate other Christians. That's the charge that we have. And it's not just for missionaries. It's not just for pastors. It's not just like missionaries are qualified. It's not just like pastors are qualified. It's not just like, you know, elders are qualified. Everybody is called to do it, to make disciples. And so we're going to talk about some of that stuff um, next week too. So the rewards of it, and then, like, how do you make one? You know what I mean? Is there a recipe or formula? Not really, but we're going to talk about some of that. So what we're going to do is we're going to take communion together. Um, so uh, Rob's going to come on up and play a little bit for us uh, before we take communion. And um, what we'll do is, uh, I think I put the elements, yeah. The elements are right up here. I would say um, that you want to take communion if you would say uh, that you are a disciple. I would say that you'd even want to take communion if you're trying to be as surrendered to God as possible, but He's still working things out. I would say you definitely don't want to take communion if you can't say, God, I want you as Lord of my life. You just don't want, it just doesn't mean anything. There's just really no point or no purpose to do it. In fact, later in the New Testament, Paul says, you know what, don't do it because you actually like create judgment on yourself. So it's not a good thing. So um, what we'll do is um, Rob will start playing the music and if you'd like to take communion, no pressure at all. And don't worry about, I know there's not a lot of people here, but don't worry about if people are looking or not because like we've talked about before, it's only really an audience of one, especially when it comes to communion time. Like it's just focused on what he has done and my response to it. So who cares what other people are looking at? I'm just worried about what he's looking at. So um, Rob will play some music. Come on up, take it if you'd like. Hold on to it and we'll take the elements together.